G'day guys, it's Greg Allen from the Electrician Success Academy. We've just caught up with Paul Holliday from the Human Excellence Project. We talk about everything that you need to know about getting control of your life again, whether it's those high performance habits to really overcome those challenging problems, or if it's to identify the feelings that you're feeling around your work, around your family, around your life, and getting back in control of those things uh, Paul shares an incredible story. It's really one of my favorite stories I've heard so far in this podcast because it opens up what so many of us are feeling as men and as business people out there when it's hard to talk about some of your feelings, especially to the people you love and you just want to get the job done. You, you just want to be able to overcome those challenges and Paul puts it perfectly. Guys, if you can relate to anything that Paul talks about in this podcast, this is what we've built the Academy Mastermind for. It's to help support you in your growth of your electrical business. You don't have to do this alone. And we really encourage these things we talk about in this exact podcast in our Academy Mastermind. We want to help you come out of the shell, open up about your challenges, and, and we, we as a group want to support you and help you scale your business and automate your business so that you can get that time back with your friends and your family and doing the things that you love, a bit more you time. And all of these things will improve your overall life and your love of your life as well. And that's what we're here to do. So if you want to find out more, just go out, click the link in the show notes, go and have a chat to Rick, tell him about your business, talk about what you're going through at the moment and we'll see if the Academy Mastermind can help you out. We'd really love to have you as a part of the community and we hope to hear from you soon. But I'm too excited. I just want to get straight into this one. So enjoy. If you've got any questions, reach out. Have a great day. Welcome to the Electrician Success Podcast. I'm Greg Allen and this is your daily performance boost. All right, guys, I'm excited to be here with Paul Holiday from the Human Excellence Project. And here's some great stuff for us to talk about today. Uh, I'm, I'm really just going to have a big conversation with you, Paul. I'm looking forward to it, but thanks for joining us. No, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on, Greg. Appreciate thanks. it. Oh, you're welcome and uh, really appreciate your time. So tell us a little bit about the Human <coughs> Excellence Project. Like, How did that come about and what is it? Oh, wow. The Human Excellence Project, um, again, I'm 45 years of age now and really this started back when I was 40. And I didn't realize it at the time when I had massive change going on in my own life, which we all do, you know, as we go through. And, and I think that saying life begins at 40 is, is one of the most truest, best sayings ever. For me, it was anyway. And it seems to be that my group of friends around me, you either listen to that advice that life begins then or you don't. And it's a really big moment in your life. And for me, that's what happened. Uh, back when I was 40, I took a phone call off my dad. Um, and it was one of them phone calls that none of us want to take. Um, he'd already had cancer and uh, throat cancer, and he'd had a um, he'd had a, a small lump taken out of his tonsil. And and then after that, we were like, and that was the first like venture into cancer that I'd had. And um, we never thought nothing of it. I didn't do any any research into it. And and then over the next two years, my dad had a cut out. We were like, right, okay, it's gone now. That's it. It's over. Mm. happy days 
And what my dad didn't change anything about his diet or his, his way of life. And unfortunately, a couple of years later, when I was 40, it came back. And that was the phone call that I took was my dad, who's like my mentor, my best friend. He was everything to me. He was a, he, He's never so much as raised his voice to me in, in my whole life. And he said to me, Paul, it's back, but this time it's terminal. And I was like, and it just hit me like a steam train. And I was on, it's very rare that I'm in this house on my own. There's always the kids around or my missus around. And this day I was on my own. And it literally just, it took the wind out of me and it like dropped me to my knees. And I, I couldn't even speak to him. I was like, it hit me that hard. And I just said, dad, I'll have to call you back. And I put the phone down and just burst into tears. And I was like, what is this crazy game called life all about? You know, mm. I thought I was doing the right things by everyone around me. I, I'd ran successful businesses and companies. And, and here I was again, um, back in one of these traumatic situations after a phone call that I didn't want to be in because I'd had two incidents earlier in my life. When I was um, a teenager, early in my teenage years, my best friend was run over by a truck on a paper round that we shared. <clears throat> and it was the week that I should have been doing the paper round. Oh, wow. You know, and I'd gone away on holiday and I'd come back and, and Barry, he was like, we, me and him were like inseparable. We were so close. And um, yeah, he went out on this really blustery, windy morning and and the truck driver didn't see him and and, and hit him and ran him over. And, and, and again, it was one of them phone calls of his mum that same morning. She told me, she asked my mum to get me and then she got me on the phone when I was a teenager because she was in shock. And she said, Paul, Barry's dead. Oh, no. And, yeah, and, it, and it, I, I dropped the phone and collapsed myself. And then it was like, I went into this, and I flunked school after that. I like, I didn't, I, I couldn't get my head around it, you know? So I couldn't, you can't understand these things when you're that young, you know? My parents, as loving as they were, they didn't know how to deal with this. They, they were dealing with it in their own way, you know? And so I went through these, Years when I was got leaving school, I didn't really leave with many qualifications. <clears throat> and then I ended up going traveling, you know. So when I was when I was 16, I left home and I moved to the south of France. I moved to Saint-Tropez <clears throat> because there was work down there on the campsite. And again, looking back now, it was because I didn't have qualifications. I didn't have any. I thought, I've got to go and do something for me here. Um, and I, I, I went traveling, I was working down there for, and I ended up traveling for nine years. Halfway through that, I got another phone call and my stepdad, and my mum and dad split up when I was like six. And my stepdad was, um, who paid for me to come to Australia back in my traveling days. He was murdered. Um, he was a brutal murder when I was 22. And it was another one of them phone calls. I took it like at midnight. I'd been out on a drink and, and um, my brother was on the phone and my mum couldn't even speak. And, and we, we hadn't heard from Ray for, for a couple of days. And yeah, some, some guy had brutally murdered him. Um, and, and that was, again, it, it took months and months just to process that and understand it. Yeah. You know? And I, I was in Melbourne at the time. And um, Ray had paid for me, my stepdad Ray, he had paid for me to come on this trip and give me £5,000 back then. It was a lot of money. And uh, he said, 
go and travel Australia. You're going to love it. And then everyone told me, don't come back for the funeral because, you know, he would have wanted you to stay over there and travel. And it was one of the biggest regrets I've got in my life is not coming back for his funeral. You know, not being able to pay that respects and hold his coffin. And, and then you fast forward 18 more years to when I was 40 and all these different businesses I'd owned and done really well. And, and then you look at the, the, the actual trauma and the suppression. I, 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 I hid it all with drink and recreational drugs. And, and I, I thought that was just how, I thought I was having fun. But it wasn't. It was hiding the pain of not being able to deal with the situations that happened in my life. And I knew when I took my dad's phone call that that wasn't a possibility this time. You know, I didn't have time on my on my side. So, yeah, it was. It was just the moments, you know, just the moments mm. where, and each and every single one of us is going to have these moments. And if I've learned anything, it's: Are you ready for that moment? Because yeah. it's coming. Yeah, it's coming, you know, at some point. And you've got to come back to, you know, you've got to come back to being the the, the father, the brother, the, the son, the strong one, you know, and you've got to be able to know who you are and deal with these situations. And this is what I've learned since my dad found out about his cancer. We went on this journey of self-discovery, you know, all of us, me, my brother, my sister, my dad, my mom, all of us. Um, my dad's wife, all of us, we, we started to look into the game of life and like try and understand because it, it was happening. And the difference between the other two, they were, they were, there was, it was murder. It was, it was death. It was instant. There was no dialogue. Yeah. You know, this time we had, we, we thought my dad had six months to live, but we ended up having like um, four years, like four years with him. So we had, we actually could plan and could look into and, and could talk and you know so we went through this amazing journey. It was, it was powerful, you know. Wow, that's that's incredible. I want to hear mm. more about that. Um, before before we do though, you've said some like thank you so much for sharing. I know how hard that can be it's for a lot of people, especially men. I think it's hard to open up about these really deep pain points that have come through our life and I think the soon as you do that's when you start to heal um that's right. congratulations for getting through it that's really cool and yeah. I'm looking forward to hearing more about it tell me about these experiences in more depth so let's start with like as a kid to lose yeah. your best friend man like that is so intense mm. how did that make you feel at the time and what did you do as a teenager <clears throat> to overcome it is that when the drugs and recreation start uh recreational drugs and drinking started or did, was it more of a misbehaving or how did you process all of that yeah well i i look back again and the beauty of hindsight is you can look back and really and really break it apart um and now with the knowledge and the work that i've done i can really look into it deep and see that the trauma itself it came through as anger it came through as addiction it came through as, you know, you know, maybe just I'd hide it in all them different ways, but anything to get out of my head, I needed to get these thoughts because I couldn't process it. And the first thing that happened to me, if I, if I look back at both them incidents, both the first two, was I, I contemplated this God thing, this religion, and I went, right, 
I'm atheist. I, I am. I do not believe in anything because if there is a God, why are you picking on me? Mm. You know why? Why me? And it was. It was like uh, it, I was a victim. Yeah. I was at that time. I was a you know solid victim. And with Barry's death, my, my friend. Again, as I say, I I I remember just running out the house and just and just legging it from the house and just hiding for half a day and everyone was searching for me and looking for me like scared about what had happened to me and I just yeah. couldn't talk I couldn't process it you know I'm just scared and fearful that one minute we're like that next minute there's no talking and it was at a young age to go through something like that is you can't process it there's no there's no um programs in your mind to be able to deal with the young death yeah <clears throat> Couldn't couldn't process it at all. So again, as I say, I go to school, and the school were great initially because they knew how close we were. They, they, but then my, I think my just my behaviour, you know, maybe I played on it. I was playing the victim role, um, and it just it just got gradually got not worse because I ended up getting a girlfriend then, and she calmed me down. But my my grades and I, again I wasn't great at school. I wasn't great at English. wasn't great. I got start to become good at maths, but it it really did knock the wind out of my sails through yeah. through them important teenage years, you know. And my dad and mum and dad split up. My dad we moved down south in the UK. I moved from Liverpool where I was born down to Folkestone in Kent. So my dad was four hours away. So he'd be on the phone all the time trying to help. But he wasn't there. And my stepdad, he was broke because he was so close with Barry. And my mum was, and my brothers and sisters, everyone was just broke, mm. you know? So it just, it was time. I look back now, there was no, there was no support as such. It was just time. It'll, it'll get better. And over time, it just slowly started to wane. But they never, ever leave your brain. Even, even now, I speak to Barry's mum every now and again. I say, even now, he's still there. Yeah. I always think, what you know, if he was still here, he'd be with me now, more than likely. But, you know, we were so nuts together that, it's, you know, he done me, he done me a favour, really, in the end. Because I don't know whether I would have been in bloody prison or whatever. Mm. But then you look back, and then we talk about Ray's death. You know, I was, I was in um, Melbourne, as I say. And that hit so hard that, again, I couldn't even go to work. And anger, anger was that one. Alcohol, drugs, and anger is what happened from there. So I went through the six-month, it was everyone else's fault. Yeah. You know? And whatever money I got went on drink, just went on to, to just hide this. And then when I get drunk, then anger would come out. And anyone bumped into me and it was like violence and it was just a horrible phase because no one allowed me to speak how are you feeling no one actually said that you know and that went on for years you can imagine when someone's murdered someone you like love you know the hatred that you, you turn from a sane person into an insane person you know you because you want revenge I wanted revenge. The whole family wanted revenge for this guy. Yeah. And that went on for years. And I'd, again, 
I felt like I was coping with it well because I was helping other people around the family. But I really wasn't. I really wasn't. And I realized that when my dad's one came around because I, it really was. It was cocaine, ecstasy, alcohol. Every weekend, I, even though I had my own company, when I stopped traveling, I went back to the UK to find my partner. And, and I did. I found her within a week and we're still together now 20 years later or 25 years later. And, um, and as I say, um, I started businesses then and that's when I got into finance and I, I then put all my energy into the things that I love to do, you know, mm. and became yeah. pretty successful at them. Yeah. Yeah. You're able to redirect that negative energy into a positive output, which is business right, yeah. and something like that. Wow. Okay. But that um, was addiction. That was another addiction though. Yeah. The same it's, thing. It's like you get addicted to that because you want to get out of this. Yeah. You want to get out of your mind, you know? Yeah, workaholism is a real thing. It's a it's something that people think, no, I'm just going to work. But a lot of people are hiding at work. I, I did it myself. Like I, f- I found myself working to not be at home and have to deal with the problems at home with That's new right, babies yeah. and kids and stuff like that. Um, I'd create problems at work because right. as a business owner, you can create your own problems. Yeah, that's right. You can push. You can push to go to that next level at the wrong time. It's like, why are we yeah, doing this right. now when I need to be there supporting my family? So right. there's, it's, it's, yeah, it's the same as drinking alcohol or taking drugs. It's like, the same thing. But I remember again when I had a young family and I had, a, you know, I had a finance company and a couple of estate agents, and I grew that really quick through being a doer, through being, you know, committed to whatever I put my put my mind to I make work because I commit fully but then as you said I'd come home at times and when Melanie my my partner was at home with the two kids I didn't have programs in my mind to deal with the the kids situation so I would take myself out of that environment where I was really uncomfortable with this crying and and all that and, and put myself into a situation that I was comfortable with like which was work which was where I could control things and, you know, because no one's got the blueprint to being a parent. No one. Yeah. And no one teaches it. So they give you this baby and they go, on your way. Yeah, it's a weird <laughs> feeling, isn't it, when you first get home with the baby and you're like, okay, what are we going to do now? <laughs> what now? <laughs> what now? We, uh, we thought my first son, when we got took Louis home, he cried for two days straight. And we're like, this one's broke. <laughs> we need, to take, <laughs> need to take this one back. It's broke. <laughs> You know, and, and you just learn that you, you have to then step into parent mode. And this is where you need the skills again to be able to get out of this and to breathe and to come back to yourself. And that all that baby wants is for you to be in a good place. Mm-hmm. You know, they're a mirror image of us and our current situations, you know. And if they're stressed, it's because we're stressed. Yeah, They, they pick up on our energies. I didn't know that at the time. I was like, what? You know, I'm starting a new business when we ba- when baby was born. You know, it's nice. It's it's a whole huge learning curve, isn't it? it yeah. Really is. Yeah, I think also like in, ter- in terms of babies and kids and family, like we have to really understand what we really want, which is to be there for our kids and well, not for everyone, but for me personally, I wanted to be there for my kids and I wanted to make sure I was a good dad and a supportive husband. And even though I wanted those things so bad, 
when times got tough, I found myself working more. So we've got to be strict and we've got to understand like and not not to create problems because sometimes it's convenient to create a problem. Oh, work's not going good. I've got to get back out there and I've got to fix this problem. I've got to work harder and I won't be home until next yeah. week. Procrastination. <laughs> you just you, you procrastinate. You, you create issues and and. Even when you say you work, and you, you, the environment, you go into an, an area of your work that you're comfortable with. If you're not comfortable with that, because you don't know it, and this is the whole thing. I don't know if you ever listened to Bruce Lipton. No, I haven't. Dr. Bruce Lipton's an epigenetic specialist. Uh, he's an incredible guy. Um, he does a lot. He does a talk called Biology of Belief, and he teaches you how the subconscious mind works. And right, everything comes back to programming is we are programming. So if you're into electrician, you've had to learn how to be, become an electrician. It's, it's, you know, it's no different to becoming an actor. You know, someone shows you how to do it, you do it a thousand times and you're good at doing it. Yeah. You know, you play a role as an electrician mm-hmm. and, you, and the idea is to be, get that good at it that everyone believes you playing that role because you are good at it. You believe in it, they believe in it, and then the business grows. And then what he talks about, Bruce Lipton, is... From, the, from when you're born to the age of seven, kids are in theta. Their brain is constantly in theta. They're in hypnosis. So we say our kids are sponge. Literally everything they hear, see, and feel, they download, and it becomes who they are. And for them, seven years, 95% of their subconscious mind, their programming, is downloaded in them seven years. So that they become a reflection of, our, of the parents. So as you, your son's playing with a car or your daughter's playing with a doll and you walk by in a mood, they're downloading. This is how you act as an adult. Mm. They download that. They don't even know they're doing it. They're just computers. They're just, that's how they learn languages so quick. That's how they, you know, they, they've got to learn all these rules and laws and parts of just being a part of a home. Don't do this, can't do that. You know, make your bed, do They've got to learn constantly, and it's all about repetition, you know. And then at the age of seven, they say the only at the age of seven they become conscious human beings. So they go into alpha and beta. The brain waves are going in alpha and beta, and at that stage, not in theta no more. So to then train the subconscious mind, it's repetition. So A B C D, and then A B C D E, and then you know they repeat, yeah. repeat, repeat, repeat until they know it. Tie yep. shoelaces, do all these things, kick a ball. You know, play footy, you know, there's all, repeat, 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 and that's what they become, the mm. things that they repeat. So it all makes sense is that we are programmed by our parents. This is why you say like father, like son, you know, it's because we've been programmed by our dads. And then the awareness kicks in then. And this is what, this is what we've been learning over these past five years is all, all this information. Uh, to try something new, to change is hard. Why is it hard? Because you don't have software in your program that supports the change. So you have to repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, and then it becomes part of your programming. Yeah. And it's, it's leaning into discomfort constantly so that you can learn new ways of being that are better and more beneficial for you and your family, you know? Because yeah. you work hard. I work, the guys, the people who will be listening to this podcast, they've probably got their own businesses. You know, they're working their socks off. Why? To be successful. Why? To put a roof over their family's head. 
to take them on holidays, to give them experiences. And it's at the detriment to the people they love. So the important thing that I've learned at 45 is come back, plan your week, put your kids in there, your wife in there, and then put your work around Yes, it. 100%. Yes, we you have know? to schedule in that time now because so many examples, and such a good point, Paul, like so many examples I've heard from older people um, reading books, podcasts, and lots of stuff when people work their asses off at the detriment yeah. of their family, like you said, to retire at a certain age and then they die a year before retirement. And then but they just... That's if, that's if the couple actually make it together to yeah. that retirement age because generally I, I'm, I'm 45, so I've got so many of my friends of my age, they're all breaking up. I've got to say that like 70% of them have, have split up. So they've done the hard yards. They've, they've met each other. They fell in love, right? And then they go on this journey that system says, buy the house, start the business. And then when you buy the house that you can't, you always, you never go buy the house that's cheaper than you can afford. You always go a little bit more than you can afford. So you push yourself. Yeah. And that's what the system said. You can get it. Mm. And then you get that house and you're still in love. Then a child comes along. You're like, wait there, we've got to pay for this child now. So then the wife's got to go out and work as well. And you've got these two jobs. Then you want a better car. Then your friends have got a bigger house, so you start doing it better. You go, you get more debt, more debt. And then you start to fall apart because you can't keep up with the bills. You can't, most people can't afford to live the lives they live. Yeah. So then they start to fight over bills, money. And then the years go by, you have another child and you fall, you're getting more and more apart. The wife then has to stop work, so you've got to work harder which then pulls you away from the family. And then, and then the argument starts like, why are you working so hard? You're going to try and provide. And this is the thing. You're trying to pay this thing off for this future, this retirement. And you're not living in the present moment. Yeah. You miss out on your kids growing up. You miss out on the love of the beautiful person you live with. You miss out on all the most important things. And they go through 15 years. This is how it works, mate. When you, your first child gets to 15, it's make or break. You either split up or you come together. And that's what I've seen is like, they get so much stress that both of them don't love each other anymore. And then someone walks by, you fall in love with somebody else and you put all your energy into this new person instead of yeah. putting the energy into the person you actually love. Yeah. And then the kids then see the family break up and then all this trauma begins. It's like, come on guys, why'd you do what you cycle. do? Yeah. You work hard for the ones you love. Just put the energy and the love into them people. Yeah, you know it's so important. This is why it's broken. You know, I think coming right back to the start of the conversation, you're talking about resentment and anger, and how yeah. people can't talk about how they feel and how they yeah. can't process and understand their feelings that they're having either. And so these couples, like you're talking about, have probably got a lot of resentment and anger for each other, and it's built up over 15 yeah. years where they're just disgusted to even look at each other yeah. anymore. Yeah, it's that's not, right. It's not their fault or that they don't have the same attraction they used to. It's just that, you know, there's just other things that have got in the way and it's become uh, – and they've let this anger build up, which is clouding yeah. any clarity in, in what right. their relationship was. And it doesn't matter what relationship as well. You can talk about your, your love, your, your partner, your soul partner. You can talk about that relationship, which is the most critical one in your whole life. 
right? But then you can look at any relationship in your life, any, and you get out of every relationship what you put into it. So if yeah. you go to pub, if you go to the pub every week and your friend's there and it's like, ah, oh, there's Paul, how are you, mate? And you're giving these people that brilliant side to you. And then your kids are looking going, who's that guy? We don't see him at home. Mm. You know, it's like he's putting all this brilliant relationship into his friends, but he's not putting it into his family and the ones he loves, you know? And you've got to be aware. You've got to wake up to the fact that biggest thing that I learned, and again, I'll come back to my dad, is on that journey, when I found that out and it hit me and I was like, right, what is important right now? My dad, my dad's important. I'm going to lose this guy that I love, that I genuinely love. So we have to go on this journey of, of knowing each other, right? And it went to the point, I'll jump forward and then I'll come back, of when he's dying and he's laying on that bed. And his friends weren't there, you know? His bank manager, his, none of his, his co-workers, none of, no one, just his immediate family, his loved ones, his, his kids. The whole bed was surrounded by me, my brother, my sister, his wife. And, you know, I've got his brothers, his sister, his, you know, his family, his immediate family. That's it. There's, that was, I'm looking around going, this is life. This yeah. is life. We do this whole bloody journey trying to be successful when we've won with the people that are there now. You know, I'm looking at it, shit, this is it. That's why things had to change for me. But the journey to get to that moment of realization was 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 the path, you know. It's so huge. It's like, what do you what do you want? What do you actually want? Yeah. That's that's powerful, man. Like to be able to be in that moment and understand that these are the people in the end who are going to care for you if something goes wrong, if you if you have a serious injury, you know, they're the ones that are going to stick by your side. Your friends will, oh shit, oh yeah, that's a big problem. Oh, sorry, man, that sucks. Oh, you know, and then they'll get over it within a couple of weeks. But like you. Or best friends will be there, like you. That stays longer than a couple of weeks. Everyone else gets over it and continues with their lives. People that, like yourself, lose someone they love—best friend, their father, stepdad, mother, whoever—it doesn't go away that quickly. And um, yeah, no, there's a pattern to that. And again, your friends. What I found over the years is the conversations in the pub, the conversations at the football pitch. They're as shallow as a puddle, you know. It's superficial, just this superficial like. Weather. How you doing? How you doing? I'm okay. That's it. That's as deep as it goes, you know. How yeah. are the kids? They're okay. That's yeah. it. It's like now, now I've learned off some of the masters in the world, the Joe Dispensers and the and the Gabo Mates and the Jordan Petersons. If you if you want to be friends with me, mate, you're putting your scuba tank on. We're going deep. Yeah. You know, because I want to know. I want to open you up and, and drag the, the real you out. Because the real you is past the first okay. It's like, how are you? I'm okay. No, no, no. Come on. How are, how are you really? It's like, wow, well, fucking hell, this is going on in my life. And this has happened. And like, there it is. There yeah. it is. That's, That's the society though, isn't it? Like society yeah. has set it up that we can't be okay. Uh, not right. okay. Yeah. We, have, we have to be okay. Because if you're not okay... 
oh, something's wrong with you. You've got a problem. Yeah. You're, yeah. You're, you've got a real problem if you're not okay. Yeah, that's right. But that's a load of shit. Like everyone's that's allowed right. to feel bad. Everyone's allowed to feel angry. Everyone's allowed to feel those feelings that society says that is not okay. Yeah, that's right. It's you a see, roller coaster every day. You go through the waves. I do. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm part of this now real positive and proactive movement. And like we had 80 people at the beach this morning, all there for individual reasons. And they see me as this thing that their perception of me is that my life is this thing. Every single day is, is a wave of emotions because I'm human. Yeah. You know, I go through fear, I go through love, I go through happiness, I go through, and it's the whole wave. But now I've got the tools to, to play with it. You know, it doesn't get me and drag me down and hold, hold me back and hide from it. I can go, no, 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 I can see it there. I can, I can lean into it and get myself out of them situations. Yeah. So what are some of those tools that you, you personally do to help mm-hmm. understand how you're feeling, um, yeah. what's, what's the problem for you at the moment, what's good, what you appreciate, what you're grateful for? What are some of the things and tools that you do to get to that understanding and to be in that position where you can actually shape different things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, again, if I learn anything, if I look around me, the reason that I started doing this movement early in the morning was because I looked at your Tim Ferriss's, your, your, um, your what's he owns Branson, Richard Branson, you know, and then you look at, as I say, um, Joe Dispenza or Bruce Lipton, all these people, all Joe Rogan, all these people, I looked at them and I actually did an Excel spreadsheet. So I've got it somewhere and I wrote all their names down. And I wrote, right, what are their habits? What do they do? And one of them was getting up early. Right, you know, and that's what they did. So I was like, right, and I looked at all of them and I looked at the boxes, I ticked all of what they did. And then I thought, right, I'm implementing the things that they do the most. So I'm looking at the most successful people in my eyes that they're my mentors. So everyone should do their own. And then I went, right, that was, that was a, seemed to be a thing that all of them did was get up early. So I brought that in and went straight away. And when I started the project, we, we got up at 3.30 a.m which then forces you to go to sleep early because we play this game where we're sitting with our families, um, family time. Kids are gone to bed. I'm sitting there with my wife. Oh, you shit. You're watching Netflix. You're on your phone trying to find the bottom of Facebook. You know, you're on Twitter or you're on a news channel reading some crap. Yeah. Right. So I realized that then two hours in the evening that I thought I was spending with my loved one, I wasn't. She was on one couch. I was on the other, and we're both flicking through crap. So then I swapped that. Went to bed earlier, got that time back, and I swapped them two wasted hours in the evening for two productive hours in the morning where we are together. There's no phones. There's no. There's just connection. There's just this mindfulness. Then we're we're doing breath work. We're doing meditation. You know, we do, um, and then we do the cold exposure, which is building resilience, which is. And you, you try and get up at 3.30. It's like, what am I doing? <laughs> Your mind goes, what are you doing? All the birds are like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I know the birds are telling me to shut up. Yeah. Like, be quiet, we're not awake yet. Yeah. You know? So it's, it's flipping it and then taking it to an extreme. Now, I did that because I wanted to start a movement. So I wanted to go to the extreme and go, right, if I can do 3.30, you can do 5.00. You know, it's just to that. It's just say, I can do this. 
And then when you're waking up and the alarm goes off, every part of my programming in my life is saying, press news and go back to sleep, you yeah. lunatic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Everything, it still does now. It still does now. Yeah. It says, press news and go back to sleep. So what I've trained myself, initially it was really hard. It was difficult. So what I did was just don't give myself any time to think. Just turn around and get out of bed. Yes. Yeah, and then once, you, one, once you're up, once you're up, you've, you've won that first battle. Battle number one, I'm in control. Because your ego is the one that's saying you've worked hard the day before. You deserve the sleep. You, you know. So I took back control. Now what this starts to do is your subconscious mind is autopilot, right? So it's what you've always done. And Bruce Lipton's work, again, he says 95% of your waking day you spend in your subconscious mind in autopilot. So you do the same things every single day and you think the same thoughts. You put your right shoe on first, your left shoe. You walk in the kitchen the same way. You put turn the kettle on. You, you do that. You have your same breakfast. You drive the same way to work. You go to the same toilet. Everything's the same because yeah. you are in constantly in subconscious autopilot. So what I re- realized was if I'm going to take back control of my subconscious, I'm going to have to change everything. Mm. And getting up at 3.30 was the start. It was like, like, what do we do now? Then instantly, I've got to then bring in new steps. I'm up that early, so what now? So I'll go and brush my teeth, and then, like, then I'll go in the living room, and this is how it started. And I started to do guided meditation, so I put my headphones on. I would sit there. And I would listen to someone like Muji, who's one, who's like a spiritual teacher. And he just talks for 10 minutes about you, about consciousness, about awareness. And I just listen. All I've got to do is listen. And I don't have to agree with everything he says. I just listen to it with non, no judgment. And while I'm listening, I'm not thinking. Yeah. So you then come out of your mind a little yeah. bit and slows your mind down. Yeah. So I do that for 10 minutes every morning. I get up in the living room and I just sit there. No one's around. No one can judge me. Just sit there and just take some deep breaths and just listen so I can quiet my mind down. You know, then I go and have a, I have a hydration drink every morning. So I have apple cider vinegar. I have lion's mane mushroom, which is one milliliter. I have Himalayan sea salt and a pint of water, warm water as well, so your body doesn't have to digest it so much. Yeah. And that rehydrates your body. First thing not everyone else does is coffee or tea or a muffin or you know crap. Give yeah. your body your body's a machine. It's 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 the most it's the most unbelievable machine in the universe. You know this organic structure needs the right fuel. You start it with that right fuel and you hydrate it straight away. You feel good. You know. So then from a there, people, a lot of people are putting diesel into a petrol vehicle. And then you've got several levels of clarity, like cleanness of your petrol that you can put in your car as well. That's right. You can choose the top end and that does actually give you a big difference. It helps you feel better. It gives you more energy. So, yes. That's that's right, man. That's right. But some people aren't even putting diesel in a petrol engine. Some people are putting Coca-Cola. Yeah. Or, or, you know, they're they're putting cyanide. Yeah. They're putting poison. Yeah. And all they do is put poison into their bodies. Right, and the brilliant thing about this human body is it shows you where you're going wrong. You just have to strip off naked, stand in front of the mirror, and be honest with yourself. Yep. 
would you have sex with you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as brutal as that is, I've told a few, few of my friends that. It's like, your wife has to have sex with you, right? Would you have sex with you? If yeah. not, start putting better fuel in your body because the second you start changing the fuel, your body will react. It will change. It will, it, it, it's very easy to turn it around because this, if you did that to a Ferrari, if you went and got Coca-Cola and put it into a Ferrari, broke. Broke. This yeah, for incredible sure. structure will take Coca-Cola for 50 years before it breaks. That's how amazing it is. Oh, we, you know? we are all Ferraris, you know what I mean? Like we're all <sighs> high-end, incredible vehicles, but we've got to respect that. Yeah, that's right. Like that's you right. You've got to take it seriously. You've been given one body, you know, and it, it doesn't, you don't get cancer. You get cancer over a long series of making the wrong decisions, not only like what you put in, how you think, how you react to things. It's all the environments that you're in and it's over decades. So when the cancer kicks, it's like, oh, it's cancer's fault, cancer's evil. No, 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 no. Change your environments. Cancer's yeah. a warning. That's all it is. That's 10, 20, 30 years of you doing the wrong thing to your body. That's it. That's it. It's yeah. not, cancer's not evil. It's just a bloody, it's just a, um, a cell that's deformed. That's all it is. Mm. You, you haven't put the right fuel in that can deal with that situation at the time. Yeah. You know, it's a lot more complex than that, obviously. But at the same time, you, you, even when you get the cancer, my dad got his cancer first time, didn't change anything, cancer came back because he didn't change anything, didn't change his environment. Yeah. But then I'll come back to my morning routine. So then at the very beginning, I thought, right, I'm going to, I was following Wim Hof at the time. I was listening to Wim Hof. He was, I listened to a, so many podcasts over the years and one of them was Wim and his his drive and determination and pushing himself through these really difficult situations, being the Iceman, having 26 world records of cold exposure. I thought, right, let's jump in the ocean. Let's go down the beach. Let's get grounded. Let's walk down. The you always feel great when you're at the beach. You know what I mean? I started jumping into the ocean on my own. And when I come out, you go in warm and you go in the ocean. It's cold and you come back out. You're awake. You're alive. You're, you, you, you know, vitality. You feel good. And then from there, I would just, at the beginning on my own, I'd just go home and be chatting me and my missus, like, why are you doing this? I was like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know why I'm doing that right now. I don't know, but it's going to be something, you know? And that now, like when we go to the beach and there was 80 people this morning, you know, there's like everybody greets each other with a hug. There's this handshake, this 1970s, hi, I'm Paul. This weird yeah. thing that we've all got used to. We've now changed it to, to you, you know, you get that connection and it's okay. And, you know, when, when new people come, new men is like, hi, mate. And he goes, shit, no, 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 I saw that. Come here. Yeah. How are you doing, buddy? Nice to meet you. And they're like, oh. Yeah. And they pull back, head goes back. He's like, no, relax, man. We're going to break. Is, it's new programming again. Yeah. Like, I'm not a hugger. What does that even mean? That means you've never hugged before, really. You know, so we go through these, it's all reprogramming. If you look at the steps, waking up early, reprogram. Meditation, I don't, it feels weird, reprogram. Hydration drink, reprogram. Going down to the beach, reprogram. Hugs, reprogram. 
cold exposure reprogram and then what we found out now over the year over the 16 months or 15 16 months we've been doing it is then you've earned the right to sit in the coffee shop and share you know you've done you've gone through all the reprogramming and then when you sit down you can speak and then you say right that's where the magic happens like and every literally every day someone gets tearful or gets so joyful that they, they've found something new you know a community of people who aren't on their phones who are truly committed to themselves because you you turn up if you turn up for anybody else it's never going to work you have to turn up for you you know you have to do the meditation for you not to someone else because as soon as you close your eyes like a man as soon as the man closes his eyes it feels weird because he's not got no software to you know yeah. compute that, that programming so it's like we slow and i tell these people i'm suggestible right listen when you close your eyes it's gonna feel weird but that's what we're looking for i'm looking for the feeling that you want to stand up and walk out because you think this is strange because that's that that's means that your programming's getting reprogrammed because the option is stand up walk out go home and carry on your life as it is. And you know where that goes because you can look at your parents, you can look at your aunties and uncles, you can look at people in society. That's what they did. It didn't work. So let's lean into some new ways and get off all these masters around us, start to bring them ways into our lives, you know? Yeah. I, I know a lot of our members always talk about, and myself included, feeling lonely out there, especially <sighs> as a business owner and as even... Like for me, in, when I was living in Perth, I've moved to Byron now. Uh, I moved away because I found it hard to connect with people. I found like when I went to the supermarket, I would always have try and make eye contact, say hello. But like you said, it was always so shallow. It was like, how are you going? Yeah, good, mate. Bus- been busy? Yep. All right. Okay, see ya. Like, and then, <laughs> and then if I ever talked about what I was doing, like I'm training for this or I'm, you know, I've got this business, I've got that. Uh, and I'm doing this, they'll be like, oh, man, you're making me feel bad. It's like, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just telling you what I'm doing. And, you know, it's it's okay to open. And I I wanted to feel Mm. okay to open up and just be, you know, talk. And then the other thing was if I ever talked about, because I was like I've gone through a similar journey to you where I had to learn my feelings. I had to Mm. learn. I was holding on to a lot of anger. And I masked mine by being funny and outrageous mm. and i'd look from the outside to everyone else like yeah. always so happy always so yeah. careless um but i was holding on to a lot of pain <clears throat> and i'd i'll drink as well so i'll drink mm. because that yeah. was my relief valve yeah. uh, and and then i'd feel really bad and then guilty and then i'd feel yeah. good again and then it, the cycle would continue because i didn't really yeah. address the problem yeah then if I have, when I started to identify my feelings and I started speaking to people yeah. who hadn't learnt the how to open up as well, that they, they would just feel so uncomfortable about it. Like why? Yeah. Why are you telling me this? What, what's wrong with yeah. you? Like why? I know. I know. I, I didn't think you were that sort of person. Like yeah. everyone's that sort of person. It's okay. Everyone. for us to feel bad sometimes. 
Yeah, that's right. I know. Well, I was the same. As I look back at my drink, and I was a drinker, mate. I was the captain of the football club. You know, we had a very successful football team, and and it's until I woke, until I actually woke up, I didn't realise that football was just me getting an excuse to get pissed. Mm. So every time I go training, pissed. Every time I go to a match, pissed. And but I would, I'd be the same as that. I played a role. Right, you look at groups like a, a football team. You've got, you've always got the womanizer, the joker. You know, you've got everyone. You've got the quiet one that gets bullied a little bit. You've got the the stronger ones who've got a bit of a click. You've got that in a football team. You've always got it. And I, my role was the joker. I was one of the jokers. Like, see how p- pissed I could get, and literally I'd be the last at the bar all the time. Yeah. But then I'd get home. And I was that, I'd get that drunk. And, and again, it's embarrassing to say, but I, I'd end up fucking pissing over the house somewhere. Do you know what I mean? I, and, mm. and this went on for years, Greg. It went on for years, mate. I'd, I'd come home that drunk that I didn't know where the toilets were. My missus wouldn't be in the bed and I'd go, go in the cupboard or wherever I'd go. And then I'd wake up in the morning, this for years, and I would have beer hangover and I'd be a fear. Right, I'd wake up and I'd be like, oh, no, I can't remember what I did. Who did I upset? I'd wake up and I'd be like, oh, no, what have I done? What have I done last night? And then yeah. the missus would come in and she'd go, I cannot believe you said that or you did that. And you pissed off on my shoes again. And I'm like, oh. Oh, no. So what did I do? Back to the pub. Yeah. Hair of the, hair of the dog. And then, Anger. then what was Re- I? Reactivated. Anger exactly. reactivated. Yeah. Exactly. But that, it was her fault then and the kid's fault. And I was hungover, so I'd try and go and get drunk again to get rid of the feeling. But what was I when I got to the pub? I'd tell them the story. They'd all laugh, and I was the legend. What What did you do last night? Oh, I can't believe you said that. And, and you pissed in the shoes again. Oh, you're a fucking legend. Yeah. And it wasn't, again, I'll come back to the story. My dad telling me that news. And then that's, as I spoke to you before, is like... I was that broke and it, it, it showed me that something needed to change, right? And a few weeks later, my dad got booked into this huge operation and he had, he had to have his face cut in half and his jaw cut right in half, right down to the bottom of his neck. And they opened his whole face open and then they took the whole right side of his neck out where the cancer was and they put his left arm into his neck, his forearm into his neck so they could connect the, the veins back up to his brain. Huge, huge operation. And my dad being the legend he was, when we went in, well, we found out he was going into this operation. So me and my brother went, right, we're going back. We're going to be there before he goes into this huge operation. We flew back a week early and surprised him. So we were going to be there for him. And he went into this with such strength, mate. Like this stoic he turned up to the hospital to go to this huge operation where he had 13 surgeons over like 13 hours, 14 hours or something. And he, all this, the, the anaesthetist and the surgeons were there and he's asking like really probing questions. So what, what are you cutting through and how are you going to do it? And they're looking at him like, what? The, he's really going deep and he's smiling and happy and he's keeping us happy. Yeah. That's what he's doing. And then we, um, we went for a last meal with him which turned out to be the last meal he ever ate. And then the next morning we went into the hospital 
and he, he got his gowns on and then this guy was walking him down and he was like virtually skipping down the aisle like this jolly guy and he was saying hello to everyone as he was walking down and then the, the team team of surgeons started to walk towards him and he went hey guys and he went Paul get your phone out I want to get a picture with the surgeons I was like what mm-hmm. who does this and he's, he's, I've got a picture of my dad with the surgeons like before the surgery it's like, yeah right it was incredible. Yeah. And then we, we took him in and then it was like a few tears as he was going in. Yeah. And then we all walked off. 14 hours later, they come out and said, right, it was a success. You can go and see your dad. And they, none of us were ready for this. None of us were ready. And we went in to the, the high, um, high dependency unit in intensive care. And um, he was there laying on the bed and he just had this scar and his face was all swollen and he had a trachea in. He was trying to breathe and he was pressing the morphine button and you can only press it once every five minutes and he was pressing it every second trying to get more pain relief in because he was in that much agony wow. and he and he couldn't breathe. <laughs> Making all these noises and that. me and my brother and my... And then the nurse was going, just relax, Graham, breathe. You can't press the button anymore and... And we're like, what the hell? And he's trying to be seeing us. Can't talk. Yeah. Can't talk. Just in agony. Yeah. And like he couldn't breathe. And the nurse said, You better leave. You've got to get out. We've got to get him back in. And, and all the doctors came in. We went out. And my brother then he really struggled. Like we were all struggling. My brother had this like, his heart was like he was in a heart attack. And at the time, I just I didn't know what to think about. My brother was like, oh no, we don't. And he went down to the um he went down to the hospitals and to the A&E because he thought he was having a heart attack. My sister was in bits. My uncle was in bits. And we were all just crying like, what is going on? And then it was like a couple of days went by. We stayed in Birmingham. And then this is when I went back up to Liverpool and a friend of mine, and it was my cousin, seen what a mess I was in. And he um, he, he knew that I was... Like at that time, like full blown atheist, like not, I didn't believe in anything, and this was like cementing it. And my cousin had struggled um, really bad with suicidal thoughts because he 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 was suffering with being gay, and the friends of his that had committed suicide, and he had struggled, and he went he went to do ayahuasca. He went to do the plant medicine ayahuasca, and, and he went from having the worst two years in his life to this one moment of doing this ayahuasca to the next having the best two years of his life within an instant of this one ceremony. And he said to me, Paul, you have to go and do this. It will be beneficial to you. And I was like, what is, what is that? You know, I had no idea what ayahuasca was. I didn't even heard that word. It's like a sexy word, isn't it? It's like ayahuasca. It sounds cool and it's intriguing. And that's when I started to look into it. It's like, what, what is this? What is, what is it? And, and how does it work? And maybe I do have to do this. So um, I ended up paying for me and my sister to fly over to Holland where it was legal. Um, and we went and sat in ceremony with my cousin. My cousin organized a private ceremony there. And um, I had no idea what, it, what was going to happen. And, you know, ayahuasca is a, is a brew that's... Um, it's been about for about 5,000 years, they reckon. 
Uh, it comes from the Amazon jungle. And what it is, is it's a leaf called Chacruna, which is high in dimethyltryptamine, which is DMT. Now, DMT is produced by the human body. So we, we produce it in our pineal glands, so they reckon, in our lungs and our liver. Um, we, we're constantly producing it. So every human being holds it. And they also think that they've, all the plants and animals they've studied so far, majority of them have DMT in them. So it's like it seems to be that it's a, a key to life itself, dimethyltryptamine. And then what they realize is that it, it, it creates powerful thoughts, powerful, you know, it creates the dream state. And um, they did studies in, in New Mexico uh, on rats, and they realized that at the, when rats are born and when they die, the body floods with DMT. So it gives you this, because it gives you this state, this oneness, this, this, um, this feeling. Right? So I've done all this research into this, and I thought, well, what have I got to lose? I've got nothing to lose here, you know? But ayahuasca is the leaf, chacruna, and the vine, which is ayahuasca, which is the, the vine that goes around the trees. The vine, um, come back to the DMT, is not orally active. So you can eat the leaves, you can eat salads, you can eat plants, and you won't, you won't have the effect of DMT because we have a, a gut, we have an enzyme in our gut called monoamine oxidase. Now, monoamine oxidase's job is to turn off DMT on, on contact so that when you eat salads, you're not constantly going to go into these altered states of consciousness. Mm. Right? So they realized this in the jungle thousands of years ago. And then they, they say in the jungle, the shamans say that the, the leaf, Chakruna, showed them that they needed to put mix it with the vine. Now, the vine, ayahuasca, is a monoamine oxidase inhibitor. So it turns off the enzyme, turns off the enzyme in your gut, which then allows the DMT to be orally active. Then it goes into your gut and gives you the experience that, that you have through ayahuasca, which can be anywhere from two to six hours. So, so psych- I don't know psychedelic experience. It is, is that- yeah. It's a yeah. it's a psychedelic experience, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a medicine now. It's like I I I've got to go back to that. It's like I've done drugs, I've done recreational drugs, I've done altered state drugs. This is not, this is like you will not do this. It's so hard. It's such a hard experience with vomiting when you can be, you know, you vomit, you 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 need to go to the toilet a lot. You know, it's, it cleans your insides and outsides and, and it, it brings up. Um, it's an individual journey for each person. And for me, it took me on, my first one took me on a journey of my own life. It took me back to when I was a child. So then I got to see um, my mum and dad when they were in love. When, they, when I was a child and I got to experience what it was like to be in that loving relationship. And then when, when my mum and dad split up, I got to see me experiencing that breakup, right? And when, when I got the, the trauma, which is the breakup, you then purge, right? So the, the medicine makes you be sick and you purge and you purge into a bucket. And as you purge, you can see the trauma leaving your body. Whoa. So you, you're dealing with the trauma. So I was dealing with it from six years of age. Yeah. 
I'd held it all that time, and you can actually see it's like what, and you, you and you pull it. It's not like a being sick. It's it is like a you pull it from real deep parts of your body, and you and you go out, and then you can relax. And then as soon as I'd done that, it then took me into Barry, me and Barry being best friends again, and playing. It showed me all the love and laughter that we had together, all the mischievous things that we'd done together. And then it took me back to the moment of finding out. And then all the trauma that I'd held through Barry's um, through Barry's death, I got to purge it out. I got to deal with the situation. And then it took me through Ray, the same again. I got to live all the amazing times I had with him. And then I got to purge his death. And then the most profound thing happened at the end of that journey was with me and my sister. My sister was there. Is that? We then learned that we had to forgive the guy who murdered him. You know, bearing in mind, we'd done 18 years of wanting to kill this guy. Yeah. You know, us normal people were getting dragged. He didn't even know who I was. He's my stepdad, Ray, Ray Flynn. And I'm not Paul Holiday, I'm different. So he didn't even know I existed. And I hated him that much that on his birthday and on the anniversary of his death, we would be ringing up going, right, what are we going to do? Let's kneecap him. Let's do this. We're not going to do that. You never but we'd that. always, we'd never, we didn't even know who he was, but we were stalking him. And it showed me that I had to forgive him. I had to forgive this guy because I was still in prison and he was out. You know, it was a profound moment. And it was like the world lifted off my shoulders. I had to forgive. You know, I had to look back and go, right there a minute. What happened in his life? to make him a murderer. Yeah. You know? So I had to put myself into this guy's shoes and look at the abuse and trauma and things that had happened in his life. And then to understand that Ray's dead. It's gone. There's nothing I can do about it. He's gone. Mm. You know, I can either hook onto that for the rest of my life. I can let it go and help people who have been through that situation to forgive in all these different situations and scenarios. Not many people have dealt with murder. So when someone comes to me and says, well, he said this to me and he, she said that, and I go, wait, whoa, 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 forgive it, man. Look at from their shoes, change your perspective, look at it from a different way. Yeah. You know, and that's what, that's what ayahuasca did to me, is it showed me, showed me that, it showed me connection, you know, oneness and living the best version of my own life. It was like instantly, not, I'm, no, I'm not religious at all, I'm not, you know, I believe there's brilliant teachings within the different Christianities, Buddhism, Judaism, all of them. I think they're all, they've all got bits that are brilliant. They've all got, also got bits that are, that are doctrine and they'll take people on specific journeys. I'm more spiritual. I know more believe now that whatever I want, I can have. You know, through whether it be the law of attraction or, you know, manifestation. If you turn up and you do, 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 something happens. I've yeah. seen it. Yeah. You know, so it's powerful, powerful moments in my life. You know? It sounds like that experience for you is what I went through over five years, but you had it in a, in a day or moment or whatever. Yeah. So I, I, I had a similar thing over five years where I'd, yeah. I'd process things that had happened in my past and why I did what I did and why I acted the way I did and why I was so angry about certain things. Um, and I didn't have too much anger. It was, it was more of the, the most recent events like 
having a baby made it yeah. like I couldn't go out anymore with my friends and I, mm. you know, I had less time for me and it's just this stuff that I, I, to my wife and everyone else, I'm like, okay, yep, that's just what we have to do. But in exchange for me being like that, I was like, oh, that, like yeah. that sucks. Why can't I do that? Mm. But then I wouldn't tell myself that, that yeah. I was angry and I wouldn't, <laughs> I would just go, it would just go down into yeah. this pool which would just build and build and build and I took it out like through working more and alcohol. Like that's how I did it. Similar hiding. Thing. Yeah, and yeah, hiding. Just, hiding just from what hiding. Yeah. And even when I and sorry, it was it was seeing a psychologist and journaling regularly and meditation and being able to identify those things. But even when I first saw I've seen I've got three different psychologists I see for different reasons. Um and I think they're invaluable for people and I think you need to work on your mind and, and work through problems like this because a lot of people hold on to a lot of anger and that's why we can't talk about it because they explode. Yeah, right. But I feel um, when I went to one of them particularly, she's yeah. like, are you angry? I was like, no, I'm not angry. She's mm. like, I think you're angry. I was like, I'm not angry. I'm like really happy. And she's like, okay. Mm. And then by session two, I was like, so fucking angry about this. I'm angry about this and I'm angry about this and this is shit and I can't do that anymore and this, uh, 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 and all this stuff just came out. And I was like, whoa, where did that come from? And it's similar to like what you've had in this moment. Um, but then I had to, once I identified that, it took yeah. months and months and months of me working at it and this anger yeah. just being vomited out at my wife. Yeah. She's like, what the fuck is happening? Like, yeah, that's right. Like, yeah. Where, where's all this anger coming from? It's like it's mm. just in me and I had all these. Suppressed. Yeah. That's and I was, I was getting angry at her in the moment for th- yeah. shit that happened three years ago. I go, you yeah. don't let me do that. She goes, that was three years ago. Things yeah. are different now. It's like, no. oh, what? Well, I feel it like it's as if yeah. it's today. Yeah, it's not fair, is it? Yeah, I know, I know, but you don't know. And and they say that ayahuasca is like 20 years of therapy in one night, you know, and it is. Whatever words I try and tell you this experience is, it's like if nothing, it's the experience itself, the the prior knowledge, you have to do a diet before, you have to get your body ready. You you can't eat, you've got to eat a plant-based diet for two weeks before, you're going to get your gut all ready. So you're getting yourself into a meditative state just doing that, being being disciplined. You know, so you, the medicine's already working. You, you've committed to do it. You've got to get ready for it, right? And then afterwards, you have to then integrate the learnings. It's like, how do I change my life? Now, for me, that first time, alcohol gone, road rage gone, anger gone. You know, instantly knew I needed to change my environments. I needed to look at my health and everything. I looked at my uncles and aunties and my and my family, and, and, and not to their fault, and society where I was from, everybody was dying. I mean, I looked around like, oh, my God, you're all out of shape. You can, your nose is all looking weird, you know? You, yeah. yeah, so then I, I looked I looked at the community where I was from, and every single person was doing the same thing. They were all fighting the system. Mm. They were all, just, you know, hiding with the drink. Arguing with the wives, splitting up, causing all these problems. Like, it's just so evident. And I'm the same when I walk into supermarkets now. You know, I've done ayahuasca a, a couple of times now. And when I walk into these supermarkets, I see pain. 
So I walk in knowing that like the power stands, you know, you can stand up straight. You know, they reckon if you stand, if you can go into a toilet before an interview or before you get going into sign a contract, go and say, can I go to the toilet, please? And you can go and stand there. Stand up straight, take some deep breaths and your, your cortisol levels, you know, they go up. You, you know, you, um, your cortisol levels drop, sorry. You, 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 your stress hormones drop. You become more powerful, like 25% more, more, more confidence in your body. You can do that. So I do it when I'm walking in the supermarket. I just stand up straight and just walk. And people are like, what the hell is this? It's just a confidence. It's a knowing. It's a belief. Other people are like, it's hard to be alive with some people. Like They're pushing the trolley like, oh, gosh, picking things off that they shouldn't be eating. Like, what are you all doing? You're all hypnotized by the system, by the society. You know, and, and work can do this to you too. When you're working so hard, you lose track of who you are. You know, and and then if you own a company like I did, and like you you have, and I'm sure that a lot of the people listening is people think we've just got it easy. You know, that you are it's all right for you. You're the boss. You earn a fortune, but they don't see the emails that you have to do when you get home. They don't see the the pushing to get jobs. They don't see the weeks when you don't take any pay because you've got to pay everybody else, and the stress involved in that, and the people not paying you, or people paying taking off money for certain problems it's like what the hell so you're just going to hide it all again you know and if anything as i say is is to just become more aware more aware of it and don't take it on into your later lives don't take that on because it just ends it just ends bad yeah so what can business owners do to come more aware uh in in this moment so something like today what can they start doing today to get some more time back with their family rebuild connection and and things like that right again what we what i do is extreme yeah so i get up early and i and i created this group that goes to the beach at 5 15 and we meditate and do all these things it's extreme not everyone's got that opportunity so what they can do is just get up earlier just get up earlier right? Planning your day to get up a little bit earlier, but be aware of it and try and get up with your wife, with your partner, if you can, and spend that time together. Even if you're having, a, as I say, you have your hydration drink and a cup of tea and sit there and talk, communicate, tell them how you feel. Tell them what's going on. Tell them the shit that's going on in work. Be honest. You know, it's, it's critical, but as I say, if I, if I learn anything, if I look back to, to we, we've got Marcel Hoff o, over here at the moment, um, Wim's brother, and Marcel and Wim studied the breathwork together for 35 years. They've now got science backing up what they're doing, so cold exposure, breathing, and meditation, right? And the benefits for, you know, willpower, for, you know, your mental health improves, depression, anxiety, it, it, you, you get cold tolerance, you get, it helps with immune diseases. It, but what it does is when you start to do breath work, right, you don't want to do it. You have to force it. We all breathe all day. But when you actually consciously breathe and you do breath work and you follow the Wim Hof method, which anyone can look on, on YouTube, just go on there and say how to do it. And Wim's got videos on there. Marcel's doing videos as we speak. Um, it gets you into different states and it's like why do we do everything 
We do it for a feeling. We work so hard, right? This is the crazy thing. We work so hard, right? And we go get up early and we work late. We, and we're all over the place so that we can stop. And then we go on holiday and we, we see that laying down on a beach is the like, oh God, I'm just recharging. I'm recharging so that I can go back and work my socks off again. But be aware, just bring the awareness back in so that you can start your mornings in control. If you start your morning in control, your way. So don't wait for your alarm to go off last minute and then rush out and make a sandwich and rush out and go, I'll see you. Start an hour early if you can, half an hour early, whatever it is for you. Have a cold shower. You don't want to do it. Every single time I do it, I do not want to turn that hot shower off and just turn crank the cold up. But every time you do it, you build that more control over your decisions and choices, you know, and then to meditate, to calm down, to try new ways. Because the way we're doing it clearly is not working. You just look at the statistics for mental health. You look at it. You look at the statistics for businesses failing. The, the odds are stacked against you, right? But the, if you take control of your mornings initially, you'll go into work and your colleagues will, will think, who the hell is this? This calm person, this person who's more aware of who they are so they can be more aware of who you are, you know? So it's like really important to change is to look around and see who's got this shit together and copy what they do. That's what I suggest because at some point, at some point, you're going to want to retire. You want to, you know, you want to be retiring or you want to be getting to the moments with the person you love, with the kids or with your family intact and with you being in a calm, relaxed place. You know, there's no use being stressed. just doesn't help anybody. Yeah. I think what you, you know? said earlier about you need to schedule the time in to spend yes, time right. with your wife yeah. and spend time with your kids. There needs to be... If we're scheduling our jobs throughout the day and we're scheduling our work and then we're coming back and we're just living reactively on the weekends and not planning it, if you don't have the intention to be there for your wife or ask your wife questions or connect with your wife, you're going to lose connection. It's going to go. It's, put and the it's, phone down. Yeah, yeah, put the phone put, down. Don't Put the phone down. Get rid of it. But don't again, as what I do with my kids, Mike, I've got a um, 17-year-old son and a 14-year-old daughter. Um, so what I do is I once a fortnight, realistic, again, it's got to be realistic. If you, if you try and do it too much, you won't do it. So what I do is put it um, a time in the diary for them once a fortnight each, right? So constantly I've got that. And I've also got, like, we go out for meals on weekends and we go to the beach and whatnot, but this is specific to each child, right? Yeah. And then I go, right, come on, we're going out. Where are we going? Wherever, like, come on, let's go to the shops. And like, what do you want to eat? Let them choose. Let them make decisions. What do you want to drink? What do you you know? Do you want a five dollar earrings, or do you want to buy them something so there's connection, conversation? You know, you got that constant. My dad's my dad's all right. Yeah, my dad takes me out every now and again. You do that. You've got that connection with them. And then date night, mate. Bloody date night. You know, telling you. You know, another really important one that I tell all the guys that I work with. Is when was the last time you told your wife you love her? And, like, and I don't mean like, love you, see ya. I mean like, Alan Watts. Have you ever listened to Alan Watts? No, I haven't heard Alan Watts. You have to listen. He's the most incredible philosopher. He's a British philosopher, died in the 70s. 
But he says, one of his videos, he says, you know, you need to tell your wife you love her that much, you could eat her, you know? So you go in the kitchen, you grab her and you say, I do everything I do for you. I love you so much. Thank you for being there supporting me. Yeah. And you say that, say it again and again and again and again until it becomes your normal. Because you fucking do. Yeah. You, you do. So why not do it properly? You know? Because I, I speak to guys who have been super successful. And then I asked them that question. When was the last time you told your wife? And some of them said like 20 years. Wow. 20 years. It's like, so what does that mean? So how does that look? And then say, do you actually love her? Yeah, I do. Yeah. So if she got ill, ill, you would tell her then. So tell her now. You know, that's the reason we do everything is for the people we love. So tell them, tell your kids every day. I'm proud of you. I love you. You know, it's simple. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay it's to so say okay. that. It's okay to say that. <laughs> You're not, you're not weak. You're not. No. Yeah. Oh my God. My friend, right? Three, probably a month ago now, he found out he got throat cancer. And he's a, he's a real good friend of mine. I've known for 10 years. And I I had to change. I didn't have to. I changed my environment because the football team wasn't, it just wasn't helping me. And as much as I want everyone to get a bit healthier, that they carried on doing what they did and that's fine because that's their programming it's fine and I loved them all to bits but when my mate phoned me and said me that mate it upset me it made me cry mate I'm sitting on the bed like you're joking he's only 50 51 I think he is and, I, and it hit me and I'm talking to him like sobbing and then I went come around come to see you where are you he said I'm at home and I came around and him and his wife were there and I said Paul let's say something now mate I said I love you mate and he's like looking at me like, what the hell? And I went, right, listen, you need to understand that this one, this is it now. It's like friendship is that friendship, that bond that you've got with your best mate, the one that I lost. I loved him. Right? So you gotta understand that friendship is just a form of love. It's just mm-hmm. a bromter. So I don't want, I don't want to bum you, mate. Don't put me interested in that. But I yeah. love you, mate. You're my mate. And like him and his missus were there within tears, like. It's just a beautiful moment of understanding that. It's okay to say to you, mate, I love you, mate. Not over a beer. Sober. I love you, mate. Yeah. You know, if anything happened, you know, I'm, I'm fucking telling you now that I care about you. You know, it's it's okay. It's deep, but it's okay. Oh, it's okay. Yeah. And so, so good. And um, amazing. Like, mm. to, to hear people like you talking about this so openly we need more of it and Mm. i feel like if we can all start to open up about our feelings and in our academy we are very open we're very open with one another we feel very connected we've we support Mm. each other through these times with your group as well and and it's an amazing feeling of community and Mm. having those people there to support you through challenging times it is, mate. It's so important what you're doing again, just to just create any sort of group where where guys are or girls as much they need it as much as we do too. But they just need to know that li- li- women speak more; they're more open with their feelings. You know, you need to. There's a there's a guy I listen to called Richard Grannon, who's a clinical psychologist, and um, he talks about the um, emotions. 
you know, how to identify your emotions, emotional literacy is like, okay, I'm angry. You just break it. There's your primary emotion. I'm angry right now. And then you've got to break it down to why you're angry. And then you go to, your, that's your secondary emotion. You take even further to your tertiary. And like you break it down so you understand how you feel and why you feel that way. And then it doesn't seem so bad, you know? But again, I have to come back. The whole reason this thing started was, was my dad. And over them years, right, over them years when he was sick, when I did the ayahuasca, my dad was intrigued. He was like, what? What is that? I was telling the story. He was like, wow. And then I, I asked my dad for two hours, just me and him. I said, sit down. Let's talk about life. And, and he told me, you know, he, he was saying the, the biggest regrets in life was leaving us when we were kids. And we were both on our knees crying our eyes out. You know, and he told me all his feelings through his life. And we had that moment. It was incredible. But over the years, over the four years that he was deteriorating, every six months he'd nearly die. And me and my brother would jump on a plane every six months. When he was, we'd had the phone call, your dad's going to, you know, this is it. So we'd jump on a plane, we'd go back. And within a day, he was back out with us. And he'd be tapping his fingers and trying to sing along in the car. And it was like the third time we were like, wait a minute, we're keeping him alive every time we come back here. Yeah. The connection, the bond. And he was like, he was like, he had to learn meditation. He had to learn it because he because of his tracky, he was having a lot of phlegm through the drugs and everything that he was on. And he would nearly choke every day to death. So he'd have to calm his mind down so he could, when he was choking, he could stop breathing for a bit and then get it out, you know? And he, over the years, he just learned to meditate, he learned to quiet himself down and get himself in good states of mind. And that went all the way through till the end where we was in the hospice. And it was, as I say, he, he then, when he had a big hole in his face where they had so much radiation, like they should never have had the last bout of radiation and his jaw became exposed and he had this pain and he was having these bleeds these herald bleeds, his blood was just pumping out of his side of his face. And he would put his hands on his chest and he would calm his heart down so that they didn't have to administer any drugs. He would just go into the meditate and the nurses were like, oh my God, this dad's amazing. How does he do that? So 20 years we've seen people come in here and we've never seen anyone do this. And I managed to get back in time, you know, and I had three days with him and watched him do this over the three days. And each day there'll be new people coming in, like thanking him for inspiring him through their life. And he would tell them, he'd chat, bang them on the chest when he got obsessed and be like, keep your chin up, we've all got to die. And he'd be right now, I'm looking forward to this next part of my journey, whatever that is, you know? And I'm like, wow, this guy's incredible. And it went to that moment right at the very end where the, his, his wife, my stepmom, she had gone home to have a shower. And me, my brother, and my sister were by the bed, and he had all this blood by his neck here, and he hadn't coughed. And the nurse came in and she said, Press the button, Paul. This, this is it, you know. And she just looked at my dad, and my dad knew, and he just looked at us, and he just, he just put his arms open, and we just all went in and gave him a kiss and said, We love you, dad. We love you so much. And he just put his hands on his chest, and he just went back into that meditative state, and slowly, and then his wife turned up, and he opened his eyes and gave her a kiss, gave Nancy a kiss. And we're all around him just holding space and his brothers had turned up and he just meditated, just like 
And then they started to administer the drugs to quiet him down. You know, his brain was, because he never had no blood, he was getting headaches. And then I realized how the brain works. That you, th This brain that we've got produces all these substances to deal with these situations. So I'd be at one moment to be so sad and down and next moment you'd, you'd be proud of who he was and what he's done. And then I'd look around and, and hug someone, you know, to get rid of their, their fear, their, you know, their trauma that they were going through at that moment. And it was such a powerful moment in my life. And he wanted time to slow down. I wanted to stop, you know, and it was speeding up. So we put music on and we got my dad, like all the things he'd planned for his funeral, we put that all on. And all this music was playing and he was going through this, it was like a ceremony. And the whole family around and the nurse was holding his head and talking to him and the other nurses were telling us to breathe. And it was just this most incredible moment until, until like two hours later, he finally took that last breath. And then he, instantly you could feel him. He, he wasn't there no more. It was like, it went from my dad to like to the shell. And it wasn't like everyone just broke down. It was like, wow, this is powerful. What a what a guy. Things will never be the same again for me. And I knew then, right, I need to live a different way. And because that's what we're all going to. We're all going to that moment. Every single human being has to die. So from the from where I am now talking to you, I'm going to put the most into everything that I do. Every single day, I'm going to live in the moment because this is all I have. We don't have the futures. The futures, no, the futures. If you have a good now, your future is going to be great. If you wake up early and you do as much as you can to 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 change people's lives around you, your future is going to be great. End of story. But if you're stressed and you're fearful now, all you can think about is fear in the past and fear in the future, and people don't want to be around that because they get scared too. You know, so that's why it's like, I went, right, how can we help people to not be as scared and to, and to live in this moment, to live in the now, you yeah. know? And that's why we bring all these different modalities into the quiet everything down so that you can enjoy, you can see the flower, you can see the butterfly, you can notice the things, you can see your, ch your, your kids. Instead of being on your computer doing your quotes all night and your kids walking by thinking you're a lunatic, Go and turn your bloody computer up and go give them a hug. Go and take them ice cream. Go and do something nice with them. You know, being aware of these moments, these massive moments in our lives. Yeah. stuff, mate. Yeah. i got a couple of questions on what you just said because some really powerful stuff there. Um, who did you have to be for your dad? The beauty of him, of of how he brought us up. And as I say, he never raised his voice to us. Um, he always goes listening to Tony Robbins and, and Jim Rowan and these positive motivational speakers. And he, he, he was always, his, one of his sayings was thoughts become things. So be careful what you think of because you'll create it, you know? And um, I just had to be me. So he was trying to train me or he was trying to show me that I'm already enough, you know, that, you know, whatever I want, I can have if I truly believe in myself. And that's what we all have to do is like, if I look back at this word, God, now I've known what my dad is like, that, that word's been taken 
rubbed in crap and thrown at the wall, right? For me, it's just energy. It's just your, your atoms. You go back to quantum physics, atoms spinning. Everything's made of atoms. It's all energy. That's what it is. Now, if I believe that I'm, if I believe I can do something, I think of it, I write it down, and I make it happen. So that's that you create anything. Everything around me here is being created by the mind. And my dad told me that. He's like, whatever you want, you can have, but you have to commit to it. And you have to become that, that thing that you want. You know, and this whole movement is him. This is this whole movement. Just let me just show you a picture of him one second. I've got to show yeah. you. Yeah, for sure. There he is. That's um, the man. You can see how happy he is in his eyes. He's a happy yeah, person. Yeah. He's just a happy guy. He's just a happy it, guy. You can see that in his eyes. Like you can see yeah. that genuine happiness Mate, coming through. That man there never spoke about anyone behind their back. It's like the, we, we said, it was like, it, I've never, ever he- seen a human being. When anyone was spoke about behind their back, he'd go, whoa, 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 whoa. They're not here. Don't you dare. Don't talk. I'm like, wow. He's like this. He was so incredible. I love that. Yeah. So good. You know? That's so good. So, yeah, he was an incredible guy. And as I say, this whole thing that I'm doing, it's him. Yeah. It's all his philosophies in life is to empower other people. And by helping other people, you help you. Yeah. That's where the healing is. If you want to get over depression, help someone who's depressed. Yeah. Teach. yeah. If you want to get over anxiety, do that. If you want to help someone, if you want your business to, to flourish, help somebody else in their business. Be honest, be open. You know, it's, it's just, it's all about, we're all here. We're not against each other. We're constantly creating these conflicts and we shouldn't. We're all playing this game together. Let's make it playful. Let's make it joyful. Yeah. And, Bring that in, play, you know, you know, go and do stuff that makes you feel good, you know? Yeah. It's too serious. So with your dad leaving you before you, like unexpectedly, before you thought he would be gone, yeah. how has that changed you as a father and a husband? Oh, massively. Yeah, massively. It really, it really puts time into play now my my granddad's passed my dad's passed i'm next i'm next in line now by making the choices and decisions that i've made as far as my health goes i don't drink alcohol anymore no i'm never i'm never saying i'm teetotal i never would because i might have a beer in five years i don't know it doesn't matter but i know that by doing making that decision it prolongs my life but not only does it prolong life, it makes me feel better. So I don't have the hangovers anymore. I don't have the anger towards my kids. You know, when you wake up, you haven't got that no more. So I'm taking, I've took control. My, my dad had throat cancer, right? My uncle had throat cancer. Alcohol for me is a big player in, in, in throat cancer, you know? And I'm not saying that that's what killed him, but that was a big player. And it's the most harmful drug on planet Earth. That's official. So it changes the way I, I um, look after myself, which then prolongs my life so that when I have grandkids, I have the time. that my, I wish my dad could be here for my kids now. They need him. They need his wisdom. They need it. And he's not here. And he's not here 
Again, it's not luck or bad luck. It's choice. It's like change today. And you will get 10 or 15 more years with your grandkids, with your family in this amazing life. It's a choice, you know? So that's what I've got is this choice. Is then, and then I can look at my relationship. Because, again, there's no, there's no way I'm ever splitting up with my, my partner, ever, ever, ever. So I have to look back and I have to constantly be aware that I have to give her that love. And then I want that love back. I need that love back because at some moment it's going to end. So I have to look at my relationship as solid. I constantly tell her I love her. You know, and I do that with my kids. And then leading by example. Don't, your kids don't do what you say. They do what you do. Yeah. So if you, if you do the things, they will naturally follow what you do. That's their patterns. That's their programming. You know? So I, I constantly have like Alan Watts playing in the house or I listen to, you know, positive podcasts and my son listens to Joe Rogan at 17. He's, he's like really getting educated in that side. And you can start to see that there's positive influences around them, then grow them. So like I'm surrounding my kids with this positive energy, with these strong people who they will become because they're doers. They, they become to do doers now. It's like, you know that. You don't get anything by laying down, by sitting down. You only get it by standing up, by battling through, you know? Yeah. So I learned from him. What I learned from him is to be the best version of myself, you know? And that's what the Human Excellence Project is. There's an excellent version of you and there's the average version of you. And the only difference between them two is how much you do. Yeah. Yeah. So you won't outdo me. You won't, <laughs> if you're out doing me, I'm like, right, we're up my game here. I've got to up my game. I've got to do more, you know? And then you do it with integrity, with honesty, you know? Make sure that you do the right things by everybody, you know? Because calm is a bitch. Come yeah. back and bite you. Yeah, I think we need to constantly be looking at how we can improve our health and improve our well-being and our presence, especially mm -hmm. around our kids and our family. Yeah. And... It's so easy to get distracted with our work and say, yeah. I'm doing it for you. But in reality, you're not really. You're, yeah, yeah. you're being distracted and you're letting it distract you mm. and you don't have to put as much time as you are into your business. Think of yeah. working smarter. Like join, if you're not a member of the academy, join the academy and learn how to make more money with less time. Learn how to not work as hard as you are. You know, um, we've got a lot of members also who sign up and they don't actually put in the time to learn. And if you're not learning, you're not growing. If you're not That's growing, right. you're dying. That's right. Tony Robbins, yeah. That, and that is true. It's like you get out of everything that you put into it. And yeah. I mean everything, your health, your, your well-being, your relationships, your work. It's, it's the same thing. It's like we did breathwork this morning. Marcel Hoff did breathwork for our group this morning. And I say to everyone, is like, if you want to get the most out of this, he's done 35 years work into this to, to be here for you. If you want to get the most out of it, breathe, don't go. You won't get nothing out of it. You'll get that out of it. It's like, go for it. You get out of it what you, you put in. Yeah. You won't out-breathe me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? And it's like, you have to look deeper into it, all of it, and do more. Yeah. 
Do you know the good thing about scheduling your family in? Like just a personal experience. When when I started to schedule my work days a specific mm. way, I yeah. became more efficient. Yeah. Like I had to get the work done. There's no hiding yeah. from that work. The work still has to get done, but you get more efficient. You spend less time on your phone. You spe- spend less time checking emails every 20 minutes. You get more efficient. You start blocking time. You'll yeah. make it happen. Yeah. You have to put those limitations on your work day and yeah. schedule in that time with family and friends and everything that you love. The time for yourself. That's something that well, people don't do. Exactly. Well, that's what the mornings do for me. I have two or yeah. three hours of me time, which is yeah. rare. You you do the maths on that. I get like 50 days a year of me time just for three hours a day. You know what I mean? But like I'd surround yourself with successful people because success leaves clues. Like if you if you actually if you have entrepreneurs and business owners and just lean in, be the dumbest in a clever group that, you know, because you become them. And as I say, it's like, we've just, um, we've got a new CEO of the human excellence project because a guy who came to our men's nights, we do um, empowerment nights for men where we just teach them these words. Some of these things that we've been talking about today. And Andy was one of them men back then. He's a successful CEO of two, big organizations that he had started from scratch. He floated one of them on the, on the stock exchange and sold them. He played the game well, as far as that goes. But then he realized when he met us guys that he had missed out on him. Mm. He had missed out and he realized that he, he, was, he was suffering with a lot of anger and he was lost and he was, you know, because he was, because he retired. And if you imagine if you train yourself for 40 years to be this brilliant worker, and then someone says, right, you've got to stop now. And what does that even look like? You can... <laughs> it doesn't make yeah. any sense. <laughs> so yeah. his having his presence in our new office, he just weaves magic because I've never seen a doer better than him. I am struggling to outdo him. Every time I turn up, he's got something new for me to do. I'm like, wow, you're amazing. And he pulls the best out of me. And then I play with him because of my five six seven years of spiritual growth and and personal development i can then give him traits and we play this exchange you know but then as i say like we've got massive entrepreneurs down there guys who are very very successful i just sit there and listen and go come on tell me something what is your process everything has a process you know and when they tell you like oh why hadn't i done that i realize i've never I'd never actually owned a business. I never. All the businesses that I had that were successful, that were turning over millions a year, they weren't businesses. They were they were they were jobs that I created. Because yeah, you created you've got, a job. Created a job. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a business until you can sell it. You have you've got to, you know, get trademarks on things, change it, employ people, you know, work harder than other people, create it so that you can get rid of it. Then it's a business because then you can sell it. You know, and then you can get to that place where you can relax. Yeah, you know, yeah. No, it's it's yeah, really incredible the stuff you're doing, Paul. I'm really excited to um have talked to you today. I feel like we're going to talk again. This is I've had a really good chat. I feel like the things that you're doing are so needed in society. I feel like our members are going to connect. 
Well, again, you know, what we do is the Human Excellence Project now. We do programs, right? So we do men's programs. We do corporate programs. We do um, community programs, teenage programs. And they're all about taking back control. Take back control of your, you know, and then you start to enjoy your life again. Um, so it's about training people to and asking them the deep questions and then backing it up with amazing experiences, right? Because when you start to really dig deep into, into who you are, you can get quite deep, right? You've got to then back it up with some fun, with some, you know, with flow states, with peak states, you know? So on the weekend, we went on the jet ski and sw swimming with dolphins and stuff like that. You know, is to get back into the state and then come back into like, okay, now I need to think about what I need to do again. So as an organization, you know, the bigger organizations get us in, we do workshops, we do two-hour workshops where we bring in these questions to ask the workforce because people, mate, the staff are struggling. They're, str they're bloody struggling. They're it's hard to make ends meet because the systems lied to them about debt, about, about who they should be and where they should be in their lives. So we just bring them back into a state of that, listen, you're okay if you start to be aware of it now. You know, so as I say, we've run all these different programs, mentoring programs, one-on-one -on -one stuff. We're going to be doing stuff in Bali next year. And, and just, but again, it's, it's all about an individual state of mind. If you want your workforce to be inspired by you, they have to want to be you. So you have to live the life that they want to have. You know, which takes courage, which takes balls, you know. But then that means being a good parent. It means being a good partner. It means being a good boss. But the most of all, being a good you for you, loving you for who you are and allowing yourself to fuck up, allowing yourself to make mistakes, you know. And then your failures. I look back at when I lost everything in 2008, the global credit crisis, as my biggest life lesson. At the time, it hurt like, you know, so bad. But I look back at it now as one of the best things that ever happened in my life. And it got me back on track. It showed me who my friends were. Allow yourself to, the, to fail every now and again and make decisions, you know? So, yeah, it's like, is it, are you a national? Is it, is it national at your, at your um, organization? The academy is yeah, the global. Academy. Yeah, so it's global. Yeah, global uh, electrical contractors globally uh, come in. We talk about the same issues it doesn't matter where you are us as business owners parents you know workers people we're the same we're going through the same challenges the, the world is connected now there's no like that country is different from that country uh yeah. particularly in the western world the western yeah. world is fairly connected and similar um then you've got yeah. the eastern world is slightly different but we've we've got uh you know, an incredible group of people who are mm. trying to connect and, yeah. and and feel like they're not alone and to yeah, open up. Right. And like you are saying, we, ne we need to open up more. And when you do open up and you surround yourself with successful people and that's what people who come into the academy are experiencing, they're, they're surrounding themselves with like-minded, other yeah. electrical businesses, business owners, yeah. successful and, and growing businesses. Um, was a great energy there that helps yeah. them develop, you know, the skills they need to, to free themselves. Well, you don't realize that even signing up to an academy like thing and being involved with you, you know, and, and you being able to have the courage to make the decisions, like to even move to Byron Bay, it's, it's huge. 
But then to then have the courage to start the podcast and get people like me on, it's massive. And I always say that if you always do what you've always done, you always get what you've always got. So people have to lean into the things that they know they need to do. You know, we if you go to a sports team, they have a they have a coach, they have a they have mentors. You know, Ronaldo, the best players, he has gets coached. People yeah. help him be better versions of himself because he's only good at being that one version, which is him. They have other people help with his health, with his nutrition, with his, and it's okay. It's okay to, you need to surround yourself with people who are better than you at certain things, whether it be accountants, bookkeepers, like yourself. We're getting, we're going now into bigger organizations because everyone's aware that this mental health problem that we've got right now is so huge. Mm, massive. You know, it's so massive. And what is that? People are scared and lost. Yeah, they're lost. And that's fine. The second I tell someone, like, okay, it's okay. You're, you're suffering with depression, anxiety. You lo- just means you're lost. What does that mean? All the things that you've done up to this moment didn't work, right? So we have to change what you're doing moving forward. So then we, that's where we bring in people like you and your academy. Go, right, these guys seem to know how to run things and other people are giving advice and what's worked. Do things like that, yeah? But then you have to give someone a map. Right, every individual that we work with, we give them a map of their own, with their own destinations on where do you want to go, what do you want to do, what do you want out of a holistic look at your life. Yeah, yeah. And when you've got a map, you can't be lost anymore because you know where you're going. And then, then you've got a destination that is achievable. Don't set like oh, I want to be a millionaire. I want to be ten million. Shut up. Let's do something that we can do now. Yeah, that you can hit. And then we set another goal and then hit that and then another goal. And slowly to be successful takes time because you have to become the thing that you're telling everyone that you are. Because if you don't believe it, they won't believe it. Yeah. You know, it's critical that you believe in yourself because when you walk in a the room, they'll go, there's that guy who's the electric guy. That's him over there. <laughs> have you done that? By leaning in and being that person every day, yeah. you know, and everyone can do it. Don't look at somebody else saying it's all right for you. Bullshit. You can do it. Anyone can do it. Just takes balls to commit and change. You know? Yeah. For sure. Um, I, I'm so appreciative that you've been here, Paul. Thank you so much for coming. I think that we've hit time. So, uh, but we'll be catching up again, I'm sure. I'm going to put this podcast out for our Academy members and I'll probably yep. hit you up with a couple of questions. So, yeah, of course. We might even catch up just to do a Q&A with the Academy members and any yeah, questions definitely. you've got around it. This has been such a valuable session with you and thank you so much for opening up and being courageous and and the man that you are. And I'm so sorry about your losses that you've had to go through, but they have made you who you are today and, and now you're giving back uh, yeah. to society. And I think it's a really positive. Our pain is our gift. This is another one. I look them now as my gifts to be the man I am. Without them, I'm not me. Yeah. So it's like it's like I, I'm grateful that my dad had to go through that so I can save other people's lives. You know, I'm grateful that my that now I understand my my stepfather's death. I understand that now, so I can help someone who's been through that. I'm the same with my mate. I, I can I can use that as a positive in my life. But if we can be of any help to any of your academy members. 
along the line, please help them just get in touch. We're That's here so. for everyone on the planet because this thing's going global too. Yeah, people, awesome. People want to feel good. Yeah, that's amazing. Good Mate, it's been amazing chatting to you. And I take my hat off to you. I've heard so much about you and um, and I look forward to catching up with you one day and um, and crossing paths again I'll soon. I'll have to come for a dip. I look forward to it, mate. Do one over there for me. Take an, take an early morning. I actually did today. Me. I went down to the beach and I just said, I'm catching up with Paul. I'm going to go jump in the ocean. <laughs> Get it. Yeah, take a picture for me, mate. Send it over from Byron Bay, the most beautiful place on planet Earth. <laughs> I will. I'll do that. Absolute pleasure, mate. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Paul. See you later. Take care. See you later. Bye. Guys, if you can relate to anything that Paul talks about in this podcast, this is what we've built the Academy Mastermind for. It's to help support you in your growth of your electrical business. You don't have to do this alone. And we really encourage these things we talk about in this exact podcast in our Academy Mastermind. We want to help you come out of the shell, open up about your challenges. And and we, we as a group want to support you and help you scale your business and automate your business so that you can get that time back with your friends and your family and doing the things that you love, a bit more of you time. And all of these things will improve your overall life and your love of your life as well. And that's what we're here to do. So if you want to find out more, just go out, click the link in the show notes, go and have a chat to Rick, tell him about your business, talk about what you're going through at the moment, and we'll see if the Academy Mastermind can help you out. We'd really love to have you as a part of the community and we hope to hear from you soon. But I'm too excited. I just want to get straight into this one. So enjoy. If you've got any questions, reach out. Have a great day.